Okay. Um, so, Zos Hanukkah. Tonight is the last night of Hanukkah. We lit eight candles. So someone asked me today, earlier in the day, what what is Hanukkah really about? What are what are we trying to work on over here? What are we trying to do? So I said, what we're going to find out today is Zos Hanukkah. This is Hanukkah. We're going to be learning. This is Hanukkah. We're learning right now. Hopefully. Pretty high bar to set for yourself, but okay. Um, what I want to do is I want to read. Actually, I'm not going to read. I'll, I'll paraphrase a pretty long story in the Gemara and Talmud about Alexander. Um, growing up, we used to call him Alexander the Great. Um, you see, Chazal never referred to him as Alexander the Great. He's referred to as Alexander Macedon. Uh, and uh, the reason is, well, number one, great, we don't really call anybody great, it's a little bit of an arrogant title, but besides that, we don't necessarily think of him as being so great, and we'll find out why. He was certainly um, an outstanding character, um, so Alexander. The story is Alexander was having a uh, conversation with the Chachamim, and he asked them what was created first, light or darkness. After he asked them one question before that, a couple of questions before that, then he says, what was created first, light or darkness? And the Chum said to him, that question can't be answered. So then the Gemara takes a little bit of a, of a side discussion. Why, why, why do we say that question can't be answered? We know the Psukim say pretty clearly in the Torah that there was darkness and Hashem created light. So, so the Gemara says, yeah, but they knew where he's going with this thing, right? They, they answered this question, he's going to follow it up with uh, the, the, some of the, those questions that the Gemara in Chagiga says it's us to ponder what was before, what will be after, what's, what's above, what's below, without going into what those questions are, but those questions are discussing... Thoughts that the human mind can't grasp. That's why Chazal says it's also for us to think about, talk about what does it mean? What was Hashem? What was before Hashem? Or what, what was what was Hashem doing before He created the world? All, all these types of questions are uh, questions that that are a mistake by definition. It, it's a mistake. It's a mi- mistake to ponder, and we're going to discuss that at more length tonight. Uh, so that's why Chazal just wanted to kind of end that conversation on the spot, uh, cut him short, and say, listen, this is not areas we can go into. Okay, so then Alexander follows it up with a seemingly uh, a non-sequitur. Anybody here know what that means? No, he's not allowed to participate. And Barish, not allowed to participate. Come on. Okay. Not bad, okay. So, a totally random question. So, he says to them, I want to go to Afriki. Not clear where Afriki is exactly. Um, clearly, somewhere very far. Something very um, exotic, um, unknown. So, they say to him, you, you can't go. You, impossible. So he says back to them, I'm not asking you if I can go. I'm going. 
I'm asking you how I can go. So you say, oh, well, if that's the case, what you do is you get the white donkeys from, from Ludia, and you get a bunch of ropes, and you use the ropes, you put them on the side of the road as you travel with the white donkeys who walk in the dark because you have to cross these things called mountains of darkness, which are dark, so other animals can't walk in the dark. These white Ludian donkeys can walk in the dark. You put the ropes alongside the road so you can trace your steps back, and that's how you go to Africa. So, obviously all of you are thinking, wait a second. Didn't they just tell him that it's impossible to go to Africa? Right? And now, when he rephrases his question that he's going either way, so then they like, all of a sudden open up with this great advice uh, that, that actually works. We see he, he actually follows the advice and goes to Africa. So that we're going to address that. Um, we just first finish the story, and then we'll kind of we'll kind of go through the story again. Right? Uh, by the way, anybody have anybody else have any questions so far of what we said? How about this funny miscommunication that happened between Alexander and the Chachamim, right? Is if there was a miscommunication, not a very like uh, complimentary thing to report about the Chachamim. They misunderstood his question. Right? Why would we write that down on the Gemara? Just uh, if they did misunderstand, you have to tell us everything, right? So. He, he, he tells them, I'm going to Africa, which, by the way, there's no question involved over there. He just told them. They understood one thing. They, they, they say one thing. Then, then he says, no, that's not what I'm asking. I'm going. I just want to know how. And then, and then they tell him back, okay, so here's how you do it. That whole back and forth is seemed completely disjointed. No. Where is Africa? Couldn't I get there by taking a So, Chacham said that there's these mountains of darkness separating between where he was and Afriki. Uh, you speak to her bearish, there's three different theories as to where this place is. Perhaps it's, perhaps it's uh, someplace in eastern Turkey, perhaps it's uh, a little bit farther, somewhere in Pakistan, so perhaps, perhaps it's, uh, someone say it's Africa, um, maybe... Maybe it's all an analogy. We'll see. But, um, so, why does he want to go there? Why are they miscommunicating? Why do they? Why do the sages initially tell him you can't do it, and then afterwards go on to tell him how to do it? And what is so unique about these Luvian mules that they're able to accomplish this very difficult task? Okay, so he crosses over the mountains of darkness and gets into Africa and he encounters a city of only women. There's no men in this city. It's unbelievable. How do they procreate? Nobody knows that answer that question. Right? Only women in this city comes to the city. So what's Alexander doing? He sees a city. Obviously, the first thing you do is you try to conquer it. You go, you go to attack it, right? Um, that's what he came to do. So they send him a message saying, listen, you, if you win, you lose, and if you lose, you lose. And if you defeat, so you're going to be known as the man who killed women. <laughs> Big deal. You killed a bunch of women. But if you lose to us, so you'll be known as the king who lost to women. So either way, it's a failure. So Alexander thought about it and decided it's actually a very good point. So he decided he's not going to conquer the city, but 
didn't want to leave empty-handed, so he said, okay, bring me some bread to eat. So what they do? They bring him golden bread, uh, actually a, a, a golden loaf. A loaf are made of gold. So he says, what, what's going on over here? I asked you for some bread, I'm hungry. We've been traveling for so long through the mountains of darkness. We're hungry, we want to eat something, and, you bring, and you're bringing me a golden loaf? So they say back to him, imagine the chutzpah over here. They say back to Alexander. They say to him, well, we thought that you must be some sort of a strange creature. You must be some sort of a strange man that you need to eat golden bread because if you eat regular bread like the rest of us, so why did you travel all the way to Africa, all the way across the mountains of darkness to come here to get some bread? Wait, you don't have any bread back in your country? So... At which point Alexander was very embarrassed and left the city and he wrote, before he left, he wrote on the gates of the city, I, Alexander, was a fool until I came to Africa and learned a lesson from women. So what is the big lesson he learned from the women, especially considering he didn't know that he was going to encounter a city full of women. If it only had been a city of men, Alexander would have done what he always did which is to conquer the city, pillage the place, take a lot of wealth, and everybody would have said he was a big success. So, why was he such a fool? Uh, Meaning, everybody has a, uh, every businessman has some ventures that just aren't successful, right? So, why does this define him as a fool? Just because he came across such a negative uh, uh, situation? Uh, And then, on his way back, he sat down by a stream of river to eat some bread, and some of the water in the in the stream fell on the salted fish that he had with him, and the fish came alive. And he said, "Wow, this is unbelievable! This this must be coming from Ganadin itself. This stream." So then, there's two opinions: he either washed his face with the water of the stream from Ganadin and left. And that's the end of the story. Or the other version of the story is he traveled upstream, tracing the stream to its source, traveling to all the way to the gates of Ganadin, and knocked on the gates and said, Open up! I want to come into Ganadin. What do you think they answered him? We just said in Hallel this morning. No, this is a gate to Hashem. Only Tzadikim come in here. So he said, okay, but, I, but, I'm, but I'm a king. I'm important. you got to give me something. So he gave him an eyeball. And so he took this eyeball. He put it on a scale, on one side of the scale. He put all of his gold and all of his silver on the other side of the scale. And the eyeball outweighed everything. So he asked the Chacham, what is this? They said to him, this represents the eye of flesh and blood that is not satiated by anything. That it, it's more, it, it wants more than all the gold and silver in the world. He said, how do you know? Prove it to me. So, so they took a little bit of earth and they sprinkled it, a little bit of dust, they sprinkled it on top of the eyeball and it right away lost all that weight and balanced with the normal things in the world. And that's the end of the Gemara. Now, how many of you really want to understand this Gemara? (laughs) 
awesome Gemara, right? Okay, so, um, so I want, I want to open up with a marshal. But before I do, I need to ask, how many space travel enthusiasts do we have here? Like guys that like love space and space travel and all that type of stuff. Is there anybody? No? Nobody? Okay, good. Because if, if, if you are, you're going to hate me by the end of this thing. It's, uh, okay, I want to r- summarize to you an article that I found literally hilarious. Um, it was published by, by NASA. Okay? The NASA article is entitled, Going to the Moon Was Hard. But the benefits were huge for all of us. Okay, now, the reason why this article was written, because in today's dollars, the journey to the moon that America took, all the research and everything that went into it, um, cost $300 billion. Okay, which is somewhere in the neighborhood of the state of Israel's national budget. Like the budget for the entire country, <laughs> for um, some estimate that that's how much it would take to, to um, eradicate hunger in the entire world. Currently, yeah. or percentages of people, ten percent of the world population or so that don't have access to clean water and food. So, three hundred billion dollars would solve world hunger. Okay, so America spent the equivalent in today's dollars of three hundred billion dollars to travel to moon. So that was hard. Right, you can make that's, that's that's very difficult, but the benefits were huge, huge for all of us, and the article goes on to enumerate what the benefits were. But does anybody know any any of the benefits? I'm going to say microwaves. Okay, that was not in the article. Really, microwaves? Do you know that for a fact? They invented that for space travel. Hmm. A lot of I don't. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, I think you're done. What? I, that was not listed in the article. Okay, so I'm going to tell you what what NASA wrote was that perhaps that was invented pre-moon travel. Maybe that was just to get, or maybe that was invented after moon, after the moon travel. I don't know. Okay, but even that you'll see. Okay, so the article lists the article lists. That number one, because they were going to be traveling for a long time, etc., they needed to have very well-preserved food. And they realized that the standards of food preservation were not so good back then in America. So they told the food preservers to work to make a higher standard of food preservation. And so they, when they implemented a much higher standard, that's the standard we follow today, we have a higher standard of food preservation. That's one. Number two, autopilot. They invented autopilot. That's a nice thing. It's a nice feature, right? And airplanes, especially, the pilots can fall asleep. They can get drunk while you, know, I mean, you still have pilots, but but they're alcoholics. So most of them. That's what I hear. I don't. Know. Um, and then the, the 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 really big one was space blankets. That was the one. Space blankets were invented for the moon mission. Okay, I think there's one more that they list there. Okay, but. Everybody gets it, right? Is you don't need to go to the moon to invent a space blanket, right? And you don't even need to go to the moon to invent a microwave, right? Three hundred billion dollars went to go to the moon, not to invent a space blanket and not to invent autopilot or um, or food uh, food quality control, right? That's what the, 
I mean, the title just blew me. Going to the moon is hard. It cost us $300 billion. But the benefits were huge. Huge. For all of us. You know what the benefits were? The benefits were that a man walked on the moon. That's the benefit. The benefit was not the space blanket. And it was not the autopilot. It was the fact that the man walked on the moon. And the question is, how much value does that carry for you? So now we go back to our, to our discussion. Alexander came to the Chacham and he said, I want to go to Africa. He said, you can't go. You know why? Because there's mountainous darkness, the divide between us and there. And that journey is, is, is a non-starter. He said, I'm not asking you if, if to go. I'm telling you, I'm going. I want to know how to go. And then they told him. We're having a miscommunication. They're understanding one thing, and they're answering that, because his question wasn't clear. He just said, I'm going. And then there was an implied question there. So the Chachamim assumed that the question was what? Can I have a successful mission there? And successful is defined by what? Well, seemingly, can we, can we conquer the place? Can we colonize it? Can we incorporate it into our, into our civilization? Can we grow from it? Can we, can we benefit from it? That's, that's what a king is trying to do, right? And then I said, no, that's not my question. For me, the going itself is the success. I'm, I'm, gonna go, I'm going to conquer for the sake of conquest. I just want to know how to do it. So it means... There's two completely different premises. Whenever in the Gemara that we're learning, right? Whenever the Makshan and the Tartan miss each other, it means there's deep premises that are, that are being disagreed upon. Right? And that's why initially there's a, there's a miss. And this is a beautiful continuation of the, the way that the Gemara started. What I tell you, how did the Gemara begin? Anybody remember? Without looking inside? Okay, looking inside. How does the Gemara start? First words of the Gemara, no? What? He asked them a question. He asked them a question. What was created first, dark or light? And they said, that question can't be answered. Now, the truth is, they couldn't answer the question, but they knew. But the new next step, which is going to follow, he's ruthless. He's just going to keep on going. He's going to keep on trying to get more and more and more, and he's going to go to places that he shouldn't be going. She's gonna, he's going to ask questions he shouldn't be asking. What came before Hashem? What was Hashem doing before He created the world? And all such questions. Questions that the Mishnah tells us we can't go there. But Alexander is going to go everywhere. Because the Mida of Yavan is the Mida of Azus. It's a characteristic of brazenness. In the dream of Daniel, the four empires, the four major exiles, Bavl, Parasumadai, Yavan, and Rome, the four major exiles, are described as, as beasts, as, as monstrous creatures. And the third one, representing Yavan, is a nemer, a leopard, 
with four wings on his back. Four wing, four sets of wings means going in all four directions. A leopard may not be the most powerful creature, but is the most brazen. It's a creature that rep- that recognizes no boundaries. It will go everywhere. And it will simply go in and do whatever it does, just for the sake of having done it. There's uh, apparently stories of a leopard breaking into a chicken coop and killing like thousands of chickens. One leopard. Uh, how many chickens can a, can a leopard eat? Ten? I doubt it, but let's say ten chickens he could eat. He killed a thousand chickens! Because he's a leopard. It's, it's not... He's gonna. He wants to. The, the, there's no boundaries. He doesn't acknowledge any. He doesn't kill for the sake of just to have what to eat. If there's a chicken, he's gonna kill it. And so too for Alexander. The conquest, his physical conquest. If you by the way look at the Greek conquest of their empire, it it followed completely different route than other empires. Other empires conquered either for the sake of honor or for the sake of wealth. The Greeks conquered, in a romantic way you would say it, to spread their philosophy across the world, but also, to a certain extent, because because they could. Be- to go places where nobody, there's no place the Greeks can't go. And that's really the same philosophy, the same thought, that drove America and Russia to the moon. So that to a man walked on the moon. That's what Alexander said. I, I want to walk in Africa. I, there's, there's a mountain of darkness. There's outer space. It's a mountain of darkness between you and that place. It doesn't make a difference. I'm going. But you realize it's going to be a failure from the beginning, don't you? What are you going to bring back? Moon rock? Let's take a look. So Alexander ends up going. Now how does he go? So Chacham tells him, okay, if you're going to go, okay, we told you it's going to be a failed mission. But if you're going to go, here's how, here's how you do it. You take Ludian asses, which walk in the dark. And you take ropes. And you attach one rope to another rope to another rope to another rope. And that's how you walk along the, uh, along the road. So first of all, an animal can walk in the dark. It means it's walking, but it doesn't have any relationship to where it's going. It doesn't get what, where it is. You need to be willing to do that. <laughs> Attaching one rope to another is an analogy that Hazal used for, for the philosophical process. And the truth is that the Chazal say, A Chacham is greater than the Prophet. How is a Chacham greater than the Prophet? So, we know that there is no Nevuah. Gimor Bracha says, I and Lara, uh, that no eye ever saw Olam Now, what does it mean, I, no eye ever saw? I mean, it's not, it's not physical. How can you see it? It means no prophetic eye ever saw there's no prophecies about Olam Abba. A Novi is called a seer. He, he, he is described as being a vision. Like we, like we learned in Der Hashem. So no prophecy was ever given about Olam Abba. Why? Because it's, it's, 
it's like it lies on the other side of 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 of, of, of mountains of darkness. Means to say, there's no relationship between us and where we are and all of us. So a prophet can't see it. But our sages do say certain things about Olam Haba. Where do these things come from? Answer is, they're extrapolations. What you do is, you attach rope to rope to rope to rope, right? What's Bina? Bina is Lome Dover Mitoch Dover. I learn one matter from another matter. I take one concept, another concept, and I extrapolate from the third concept. And then I take those two and I make from them another one. I take those two and I make from them another one. That's, right, once a philosopher was given enough philosophical axioms, then using those, he could keep on building more and more and more and more and more until, theoretically, he would get to any height, any answer. And that's why when Alexander was trying to get these axioms from Chazal, they knocked that out from under, they didn't want to give him the axioms. They understood that when he's asking which one was created first, darkness or light, he's going to use this next as an axiom to, to ask more and more and more and more. And obviously, Alexander's journey over here, whether there was such a journey, if there was such a journey, it's certainly being used also as an analogy to the conceptual conquest of Yavan, to the conceptual what Yavan represented. Alexander was Yavan. He was the he was the Melech of Yavan. He was the king. He was the that's the represent. You understand Yavan, you understand Alexander, and you understand Yavan. He was a student of Aristotle. Aristotle was his private tutor. This is the embodiment of Greece. So either the journey did happen, and it's and it's a perfect physical representation of what transpired in his mind and in the spiritual realms, or it never happened, and it's, and it's a marshal, or it's somewhere in between. But it's all still saying the same point. So, number one, that's why he's tying rope to rope to rope. Because when you tie rope to rope to rope, you can go through places where even you don't understand where you're going through. Mathematicians now can prove and talk and discuss um, and do proofs, etc., of up to 13 dimensions. An, an existence of, of 13 dimensions. A human mind can't possibly grasp such things. We live in a three-dimensional world. Maybe we can trick ourselves into thinking maybe we could imagine a fourth dimension. But a fifth, a sixth, a seventh, a thirteen dimensions, we have no... It's not just a cube with 13 sides. That, that's just a three-dimensional object. We just... You, you get that, right? It's, it's actually 13... Dim- we have no idea what that means. But the point is, it's okay. You just close your eyes. You're just in the dark. You're not... You don't have to relate to that knowledge. You just use rope to rope to rope to rope to rope and you figure out that's what must be. That's called walking in the dark like a Ludian ass using ropes that you're attaching one to the other. Now, again, it's a fine thing to do if somehow this math will lead them somewhere, you know, help them to... Um, I don't know, do quantum teleportation or whatever. It's fine, but but over here we're talking about using this for philosophical exploration. Okay, so 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 where does he end up? So he goes to a world 
which is only which is only women. A man interacting with women, as we know, that's like it's like uh, it's like it's a different existence. Right? So he ended up somewhere. Who, you know, how could you relate to that? It's like it, it, it'd be more relatable if it was male Martians, right? But like, these were women, so there's no way to, he, he ended up somewhere where he has no ability to get it to understand this place. It's a world that's only there's only women there. We could talk more about that, but but here's the point: they told him. You, if you manage to conquer, you lose. And if you don't manage to conquer, you lose. There's an unbelievable Gemara in Yerushalmi. The Yerushalmi says that four Chachamim went up to Pardes. Went up to a very, very high spiritual place. Almost too high. And from them, one of them died. One of them went crazy. One of them became... Uh, an Epicurus, a Koifer, Acher. He became a, a denier of the Torah. And the fourth one was Rabbi Akiva. And he went in, up in peace and he went down in peace. But the difference was the first three peaked at things that they shouldn't have peaked at. And Rabbi Akiva, it says, he, he it doesn't say about him, he peaked. It says he went up in Shalom and he came ba- back in Shalom. What does it mean to peak at things over there? Peaking is always where you're looking beyond where you belong. Now, when, what are the options? The option is either you don't manage to grasp the thing, which means that when you try to grab it, your mind crumbles, right? That's, the one, that's, that's either the one that died or the one that went crazy. So that's the equivalent of not being able to conquer that city of women. Or, or alternatively, if you do conquer it and you bring it back, what are you bringing back? You're bringing back that you conquered a bunch of women. That's, that, that's, that's maybe even worse. And that's Acher. He thought he grabbed something. He thought he got it. And he came back down with a corrupted understanding of the world. Because those are concepts over there that you can't grab and bring back. There's certain things that are so lofty, so high, that no matter what you do, you can't, if, you, if you try to understand it, Either your mind is going to break because it can't understand it, or if you think you did understand it, and you got it, so the answer is you didn't get it. You, you, the, 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 you got the wrong thing. You're going to come back uh, and up a course. So, that, that, so that's what Alexander was told over here. There's certain things that are beyond your reach. By definition, that's what Khan told him. It's impossible. So... But Alexander doesn't want to leave empty-handed, right? NASA doesn't want to leave the moon empty-handed. They don't want to come back a failure. They spent $300 billion going to the moon, right? They got it. So what do they do? So they have two options. One, they load up the rocket ship with a bunch of moon rock. Right? And they bring it back, and like all the cameras, everything, they open up this giant chest full of moon rock. A moon rock is the most worthless piece of garbage that you could possibly have. It has no value whatsoever. So that's what, everyone's going to laugh at them. Right? So what's the other option? You come back empty-handed. Well, everyone's going to laugh at you still. So what do you do? No matter what you do, you lose. If you bring something back, you lose. And if you don't bring something back, you lose. So the is, you make up, oh, at least I, I got some bread. I journeyed over the mountains of darkness. 
to Africa to get some bread. What, you crazy? You, what, you don't have bread back at your house? All right, let me ask you a question. Um, which planet did we travel to to invent the light bulb? We didn't need to. We managed to do it right here on planet Earth, right? Okay, so the microwave too, right? The microwave, the photo camera, um, automobiles, and lots of other wonderful things were invented without having to travel to, to the moon, right? So what do you, what do you crazy? What do you have to go to the moon to invent the space blanket for? To invent autopilot? What do you have to go to Africa to ask for some bread? You must, you must need some sort of a golden bread. You must need, you must be some sort of a strange creature. What, what, you don't have bread back at home? What are you doing over here? So Alexander left the city and he wrote on, on the gates of that city, I, Alexander, was a fool until I learned a lesson from the women in Africa. Now, we asked before, why is he a fool? Maybe he would have come there and he would have found that actually it was a city full of men, lots of money, lots of powerful you know, like, uh, gems and very rich things, and he would have been a very successful campaign. He says, no. That's what, this is we're, we're saying, how new from the beginning? You're going to a place that you can't conquer. You can't take it. You can't take it with you. There's no, there's no tangible benefit to be had. Now they're gearing up to go to Mars. Right? The moon wasn't bad enough. Now they want to go to Mars. Now they know it's a dead planet. There's nothing there. Right? It's much farther than the moon. It's going to be way more expensive. You have to get some real Ludian asses that are willing to fly for a year <laughs> in a little spaceship to Mars to do nothing there. And then maybe come back. Like three years later, if you want to get some more, you know, comic relief, read about NASA's article about the tremendous benefits that have been had from the space station that they're maintaining in outer space. It's, a, it's unbelievable, right? So, so the, so the point is, what's 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 a shota? What's a fool? A fool is a person who doesn't internalize wisdom, who doesn't know what to do with this wisdom. And so, Alexander is saying. I was going out, I was conquering without having any plan how I'm going to internalize it. You know that he was like 30 years old, he died and his entire empire fell apart. He hadn't consolidated anything, it splintered right away. It was a very weak you know, empire, relatively speaking. There was no plan, it was just conquest, conquest, conquest. It was this male feature of brazenness, of azus of wanting to conquer more. And we all have it, by the way. Right? That's why we always want to learn new things. How many people here do Hazara? Okay, Noah Tai is the only man to raise his hand. Okay, we got two, three. Okay, I mean, this is a Hashavet There's probably a lot of people here that do Hazara. But how many people do as much Hazara as they ought to be doing? So think about it. Next time, before you learn the next piece of Gemara, before you learn the next Mishnah, before you learn the next piece of Hasidus, ask yourself, have I consumed all the food back at home that I have to go and conquer a new territory? 
Is there no bread back at home that I have to be going to these strange places over there? You know, the guy's learning Mesachas Ketanus, right? Like, <laughs> I mean, no, it's it's it's, give all, it's unbelievable. If, if if you if you if you've learned everything else until then, it's great. But right, but the point is this need to conquer another and another and another daf and another daf, running through all of Shas. Well, have you internalized it? Are you living with it? Are you living with Hashem? What's the purpose of Chachmah? The purpose of it is to live with it. That's why women taught him that lesson. Women understand, women are the power of internalizing. Women are the power of taking an idea and living with it. Making it real in the home. Making children with it. A man has a problem. right? You know that? Man, it's a major problem men have. Because one man can marry one woman and have a child with her, and then marry another woman, have a child with her, marry another. He he's not tied. He's got just as many ideas as he has. That's how many children he can have. But a woman, once she becomes pregnant, what is she doing for nine months? She's busy. She. No, I don't have any... No, not available right now, right? I'm working on something. I'm cooking on it. I'm trying to make it real. Right? And that's, the, that's, the, that's a very big difference. That's a lesson that we need to learn from women. Of what it means. You take an idea, you become pregnant with it, and have it change you. Become that. Then... You can have another one. So that's what I was saying. I was a fool until I learned this lesson. And of course, it's no coincidence that when he recognized this foolishness of his, he stumbled across a stream coming from Ganeden. I mean, we have to understand something. This was not an ordinary person. This was a student of Aristotle. This was a man who conquered the entire known world. This was a this was a person. This was a this was a big man. And once he learned this lesson of humility a little bit, once he touched on it, he discovered a stream that was coming down from Ganadin. And the fish, the salted, dry, dead fish that he had in his bag, came alive. Brought it alive. This salty, dry, dead chokhmah that he had in his bag, came alive. Fresh. Vibrant. That's what you want from your Torah. You don't want your Torah to be more dafim and more information and more dry facts. You want for it to come alive, right? You want for it to be touched by the waters of Gan Eden. You want for it to have that smell. He got, he, he sensed it. Like we know that Alexander is described as a person who, although on the externally he he was he had Ra to him, but uh, Lamaise at the end, the, the, the inside there was something there. Chazal say something inside of him. That's why the 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 first all three of the first exiles are compared to the three animals that have a, a the non-kosher sign of the they don't have split hooves. But they do chew their cud. I mean, internally they're kosher. 
Internally, they were striving for something genuine. But externally, it was completely corrupted. And so Alexander managed to tweak this to a certain extent. The fourth exile, of course, where we are today, which is the um, embodiment of the evil of, of all the previous three exiles coming together to where it's the other way around, where externally it seems good, but internally it's completely rotten, as represented by the chazir, the pig. Right? So this exile that we're in now is the reincarnation, so to speak, of all the three previous exiles, but just all their evil together. I mean, all their emptiness, all their nonsense, all their garbage together. So the challenges that Alexander had, those are challenges that are coming back on us in the, in the Western culture that we live in. So, two versions of what happened when he discovered the stream. One is that he washed his face with it. You wash your face with it means you get a certain freshness. You, you get a new outlook. You, 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 you feel cleaner. You feel, you feel better. Um, that's, that's, that's one option. The other one says that he actually traced it back to Ganadin. Means he wants okay, so fine, now I, I, I get it. But this is I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna, I'm gonna take this take this all the way. Thank you so much. So, he traces all the way back to the gate to the gates of Gan Eden. Knocks on the gate. Let me in. Let me ask you a question. What are you knocking the door for? If they would have wanted you, they would open the door, right? And if it's locked, then guess what? I mean. It's not exactly like, well, if you found it, so that you get to come in. I mean, clearly, he understood the selection process. <laughs> so, what's going on over here? Does he belong in Ghanaian? Does he not belong in Ghanaian? Obviously, the answer to be he doesn't belong in Ghanaian, right? Because that's what they're going to tell him. So, what's he thinking that he, that he could come in? This is an unbelievable Gemara. Gemara Gitten says... Sorry, not, uh, not the Gemorian Gitten, Gemorian Shabbos, the Aflamid Aleph. Says, Kol Adam Sheyesh Bo Torah, Vein Bo Yerushamayim, someone who has wisdom, who has Torah, but doesn't have of of heaven. So, what's he compared to? He's compared to a person who has the keys to the inner chambers of the treasury, of the king's treasury. But he doesn't have the keys to the outer entrance, to the outer gate. That means he's a chokhom. He understands what should be and how it should be and what. So, so if he could just get it, he's got all these keys. And there's a lot of treasures in there. But he doesn't have a key to get into the outer gate. Because he doesn't, he doesn't have Yerushalayim. What that means is he never started playing. He never started at all working on the relationship with Hashem. He had chachma. He understood how the world is and how the and the angels and the, and the, and the heavenly bodies and all these unbelievable things, which 
are very valuable if you can just get past that first gate. Which means if you have a relationship with Hashem, the more wisdom you have, the more it helps you to have a closer and closer relationship. But if you never had the relationship to begin with, all that wisdom is completely useless. So he's knocking on the gate because he's saying, I belong in there. I know what it looks like in there. I should have access to there. And the answer is, Zeshar Hashem. You're making a mistake in the address. You see it says over here, Zeshar Hashem. This is a gate to Hashem. And you never sought that relationship. Tzadikim Yavovo. This is a gate for the Tzadikim. Rav Tzadik, in Lublin, says, he's, he's bringing from a Zohar Kaddish, that the fundamental difference between Yavon and Zion, the two centers that the warrior, the two poles pulling the world in two different directions, obviously Zion, Kimitzion, Tezis Torah, that's the pole, the pulling humanity towards Avodos Hashem. And Yavon, the difference is the Tzadik. Zion is spelled Tzadik Yud Vav Nun. And Yavon is spelled Yud Vav Nun. Without the Tzadik. Yud is a letter of thought. It's an abstract letter. It's a letter that hangs up in the air. It doesn't touch the line. That's, that all the other letters are coming down the line. It's up here. It's small. It represents future tense. He will do something. It means he has a plan. It's a letter of thought. Vav is bringing that thought down to the line. The Nun Sofit is bringing that Yud to evolve all the way down, even below the it, Getting that wisdom, bring it down, bring all the way down. Wisdom, wisdom, wisdom. That's Yavan. Wisdom, wisdom, wisdom. But it's missing the tzaddik before it. What does it mean, the tzaddik before it? It means a person doesn't have the year of Shemayim. He doesn't want to be a tzaddik at the beginning. First, you have to want to be a tzaddik. Then, wisdom, wisdom, wisdom. Because then the wisdom is always to become a tzaddik. The wisdom is to become a tzaddik. That's Zion. So, they said to him, Zeshar Hashem, tzaddikim yavovo. And you're not a tzaddik. You don't have that tzaddik in you. So he said, okay, but I'm, but I'm a melech, I'm chashav, give me something. What, I mean, <laughs> it's not like uh, his soldiers are going to intimidate Gan what, What's, what's, uh, what's he, what's he trying to, uh, what is he trying to say? So Gemara Gideon says that who's called malachim is, is the chachamim. The chachamim are called malachim, are called kings. Why? Because the Chachamim help to organize the world. They tell you how the world ought to be run and how the world is not meant to be run. And so to a certain extent, the king also, the, the reason why they're called kings is because kings also do this. Kings also run the world. Kings also organize the world. And they help the world to function. He's saying, I have something. I also I provide... Uh, a wise conduct in the world for how the world should be run. Indeed, the Greeks brought a lot of civilization, a lot of culture to the world, uh, uh, saved it from some of the barbarians, etc. 
So they gave him an eyeball. What's the message of the eyeball? So he said, what's the message of the eyeball? Anybody remember? What? Exactly. The eye, no matter how big the thing is, the eye can see even bigger. Oh, I have a dream, I have a vision, I want it. Right? Even more so than an all-you-can-eat buffet. Yeah, right? All-you-can-eat buffet. Listen. <laughs> the, that response tells, us, tells me that I was right. All you can listen. Thirty dollars, all as much sushi as you can. So the guy's thinking, "Wow, it's unbelievable! I'm going to have like twenty rolls, right? This is going to be like the best, the best thing ever. A dollar and a half for a roll. This is right? after two rolls, he's done, right? So, it's, so the eye bigger than the stomach, but but the eye is bigger than everything, especially if it's one eye. Because what's the difference in one eye or two eyes? Two eyes gives you depth vision, which means it gives you perspective. See the thing from this angle and from that angle, so you can kind of relate to one eye. Is it's all just conceptual? It's just you know, picking. You have no idea if it's huge or small. So you can grab everything. So the point is, it is insatiable thirst, this insatiable desire for more and more and more. That's what the eye represents. And the answer was, if you sprinkle some offer on it. You sprinkle some earth, some dirt on it. Which means, humble yourself. Understand that you're not going to understand everything. And the moment you say it to a Greek, he starts tensing up. He starts thinking you're trying to get all religious on him. You know, try, try with a scientist. Tell him, you know, you're not going to be able to understand this. See, see what they say to you. Those are fighting words. I don't mean a scientist, meaning, I don't mean a Ehrliche from person who practices the the profession of science. I mean, I mean a believer in that they are in in scientism. Right, the someone who this is this is what their life is. This is what this is what tells them. Uh, what, what is true and what is not. So it means there, but the, the rules of the game are, this is, what, this, is, this is what they say, the rules of the game are that only what you can understand. That's, that's the only thing that's acceptable. Okay, those are the rules that we can't play. Because we know these things that we're not going to understand. Because we're humble. Because a person understands, what am I? I'm a little guy. What? Uh, Basr of a dam, brain that can fit inside of a head, how much can you expect already? So once you sprinkle some of that, some of that offer, some of that uh, dust on top of the eyeball and you humble it, then now it, it finds its place. And by the way, notice, the Chochma, which represents the eyeball, it's completely skewed. It's completely has no perspective on itself relative to everything else until it finds its humility. It'll outweigh everything. I mean, not to say that Chokhmah doesn't have a value. Of course, it has a value, tremendous value. 
but not, not more valuable than, than, than everything else in the entire world. Right? But with this lack of humility, it just completely breaks all ability to weigh up the issues. Until you find that humility, and then you say, oh, here we go. Now, now, now the thing has found its weight. Now the scales are working. That's one. The other thing is, what happens is, when you sprinkle some of that dust on top of the eyeball, what you're saying is, you should know there's certain things you can't see. Right? It's mechusemina ayin. It's covered up from the eye. And so you know what you can see and what you can't see. And that was the milchama that we had with the Yivanim. The milchama that we had with the Yivanim was that for them, everything was fair game. Everything. The Kodesh HaKadoshi was fair game. There was nothing off bounds. Not a woman that's about to get married. There's no Kedusha. There's no sacred. There's no reserved. There's no place that they can't go. And that was the, and that was the milchama that the Hashmanoim fought. But like we said, although they won that that war in, in that exile, we won. But in this fourth exile, all those challenges from all the three previous exiles come back again together. It, you know, it's like the it's like the remix. You know, like the. The the, wor- the 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 worst of the of the of the of the nineteen nineties, you know, like you take all that music together, you re- remix it, like, you know, and you, you throw it back into that, like all over again, right? Um, so that's that's what we're living. That's that's where we're living right now, and we have to understand and this is no joke. We are all challenged with that. We all have a Greek sitting inside of our heads, a fat, filthy Greek. Who is constantly telling me, I want to find out more, I want to conquer more, I want to get more, I want to become a chacham. And he has to be humbled, and that chachma has to be for the sake of tzitkus, not to be a yivoni, but to be a tzioni. That's Hashem. If we can understand that, then I think we can very much say, Zos Hanukkah. We have two minutes, a minute and a half. Any questions? One's going twice. Okay.